Welcome to another episode of Sim Sundays. This week, we got a pretty interesting guest based on my old school days as a child and having arcades in like the malls and in miscellaneous stores and things. And I really miss them now. Um, Tom, you really took over this conversation. I was just fascinated <laughs> with everything that was going on this whole entire time. So I'm just like, uh-huh, yeah, that's yeah. that's really interesting. So, like, it's just a couple of random things. But man, so this, this, week, this yeah, week was good. We had Ollie Raisin, who is the co-founder of the F1 Arcade. Now, there's one in London, but he reveals that he's opening uh, at least 30. Um, I've heard a higher number, but he said at least 30 between yeah. now and 2025. And then hundreds right so yeah. these are a little different to the to the f1 uh, to the arcades that you'll have had as a child the f1 arcade is nuts it looks incredible there's 60 sim rigs um provided by vasaro we had neville slade from vasaro on a couple of episodes ago, which i got so you haven't honest. listened to that go those back vasaro rigs are beautiful rigs they are so like, nice i would love to have one so much yeah. just right behind me back here where i sit oh, in this beautiful yeah, and, and for, and for only fifty thousand dollars you can chris There's i know i know so we this week spoke to ollie about his background and which is a lot of fun he has a very very cool cv uh, and how he got into the f1 okay but then we also kind of asked him some questions that sim racers would want to know sim racers who haven't been to know are they going to enjoy it as a sim racer and then for those sim racers who have been who have all shared a very similar sentiment no spoilers he addresses it uh which was really interesting because i had been and i thought this thing and yeah. then he said what he said and now i think differently now you're like oh that <laughs> could that have been any sense. vaguer right. so yeah enjoy this episode uh ollie hi welcome to the show hi. how are you doing very well thank you i'm uh currently up a mountain near Salzburg, near the home of Red Bull in Austria. That is very yeah, cool. Very and I like cool. that you're near the home of Red Bull. You're on Red Bull's front door and you're wearing a bright papaya <laughs> McLaren cap. <laughs> oh, I know. And, and to be honest, I, it's not even McLaren that I like. It's we had a big McLaren event at F1 Arcade and they very kindly gave me a pack, which included a hat. And because I'm sleep deprived from having a <laughs> 19 month old child and not mm. washing my hair i just grabbed it and stuck <laughs> it on so i think i'm actually going to be an audi fan when they finally launch Ooh, okay just waiting. Ooh, that's that's who, I'm, that's who i'm hooking into nice so have you have you always been a, a, a fan of um formula one and, and motorsport or has that been something that's developed since f1 arcade um okay so i mean i do feel that i'm quite old these days i'm, I'm gonna be 45 <laughs> this year I did definitely love F1 in the 80s when I used to watch it with my dad when it was on Channel 4. Sure. Then I moved to Australia in 1988 because my parents were desperate to get away from Margaret Thatcher. And <laughs> when we were there, I had a group of friends that were massively into Formula 1. So all through the 90s, right. um, we, would, we would have events uh, kind of every Sunday night, because we were often watching at sort of mm. 11, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning. Um, so I definitely was a fan through the 90s. I probably dropped off a little bit in the mid-2000s when I um, got a job that required me to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So I was drifted Ooh. away. I got back involved during the, the Ross Braun excitement, thrilling little short era. Nice. Um, and then, I, realistically, I did kind of drift away again during the Mercedes mm, Red Bull the, domination yeah, period. Yeah, domination right. period, yeah. And then 
And then through F1 Arcade and this whole new thing, I've been... Oh, they're pulling me back in. They're pulling me back in. <laughs> You've fallen back in love. Well, your your job that, that started at, at 4 a.m., what, what on earth was that? I, I, was a, I, was a bre- I was a breakfast radio host on a commercial radio station in Australia. Oh, wow. That is very, very cool. I, I don't yeah. think ever... So hang on. So you're a radio presenter. You were uh, well, a radio not presenter. Not really. No, I... I started. I was a. I was a comedian in Australia. Mm. I started doing comedy. Um, I was so bloody good. Sorry, I was so good <laughs> that um, <laughs> a radio station came calling and offered me offered me a job. So, um, what was I? I was like twenty five, twenty six years old. Uh, it's just one of those things that I couldn't really say say no to. Um, in a way, I wish I had said no to it because it completely killed my love of doing stand-up uh, just oh. due to the hours but um <laughs> yeah a lot of fun like I, I i did two two and a bit years and then um one one day just about easter i woke up and decided i'm i'm, I'm finished and so I, I sort of quit that same day and then four weeks later i'd moved back home to the uk so that was 2007 so i've oh, been wow. back in the that uk since then turnaround. that's also a nuts journey from like comedian to to f1 arcade so I, like, we'll, we'll we'll dive into that but i don't know about you chris i feel like there's a lot of pressure now we're with a we're with an audio broadcasting like an actual broadcasting i know we've got all and... the gear but <laughs> you do and and i have won australian commercial radio awards don't let that scare you but we're, we're back from our audio issues and you were about to tell us uh what your award was for the yeah, radio broadcasting awards <gasps> god um, I mean, it was so important to me. We didn't even go to the to the ceremony, oh. but it was for it was for best on air comedy produced segment. Oh, okay, um, that's major. Two thousand and you didn't, didn't Well, no, no. At the time, because we were based in Perth, Western Australia, and the awards were taking place in Sydney. Oh, okay. And we had a show to do the next day, and we were at the time we were still a brand new show. Um, so our bosses thought they would go on our behalf. Oh wow! Uh, oh. They didn't. They didn't expect <laughs> that sure we would win, but we we did win. Okay. <laughs> I uh, yeah. I've been really admiring your 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 LinkedIn profile um, because it says that you're a co-founder of Lazy Susan's Comedy Club, which is a funny, pretty funny name for a comedy club. I can't. I don't know why, but it is just funny. And underneath, you said that you were just being a legend at making people laugh um yeah. <laughs> which is which is pretty bold <laughs> i like that okay um yeah what can i say about that so i, I would i would say that i probably didn't take linkedin too seriously <laughs> for a number of years that's refreshing um, <laughs> actually so, <laughs> lazy susans um so yeah I, I i got into comedy um in 2001 four i think um there was a comedy competition in australia called raw comedy and almost 90 percent of australian comedians as a rite of passage um do mm. raw comedy sure and essentially it's a competition that gives you an audience like your first ever audience you perform in front of is going to be three four hundred people it's, mm, a, it's an australia-wide competition um and it's like a series of heats and then you go into a final and things like that um I did that. I loved it. Um, within a year, I found myself opening up a 
comedy venue in Perth um, because I was a massive comedy snob and the other places in Perth at the time, I was in my early 20s. They were run by people in their 40s who were doing sort of racist, old-fashioned style stuff. And me Yikes. and my friends at the time were massively into Izzard and the Bush and Surrealism and mm -hmm. Flight of the Concords kind of things nice. like that. Okay. Flight so, of the Concords, brilliant. So, um, yeah, I, I managed to... My friend Yasmin had a friend called Jeff, Jeff was reopening this really luxury kind of bar called the Brisbane Hotel. Upstairs at the Brisbane previously, before he redeveloped it, there was a thing called Effie Crump Theatre, which was kind of like a old school failing independent theatre. Um, I went to Jeff. We sat on bricks outside of at the Brisbane Hotel. I said, uh, give it to me. I can turn it into a comedy club. I don't know why I thought that, but I just did. Um, <laughs> well, Okay. So we went in, we completely rebuilt it, and we, we created Lazy Susan's uh, Comedy Club, which um, still operated under the name Lazy Susan's until last year, and it's now called Oasis Comedy Club. But Lazy it was Susan's Western Australia's yeah. first, first purpose-built comedy club. Um, no way. And that was, yeah, That's so amazing. I was a legend at making people laugh. <laughs> you said you also said that you're not the funniest you could have been uh you usually save that for wooing ladies again this is on your linkedin profile that's fabulous <laughs> yeah wow <laughs> what's linkedin for well yeah well usually but this is the thing right because i'm looking through everything that you've done and you basically co-founded or like directed a lot of fun stuff so i don't think you've ever had to use your linkedin profile to get a job um, which yeah, is I've, why you can never... basically just write whatever the hell you want on it, right? Yeah, that's true. I've never, I've never had a job interview, so I think that's why I always just look, look, use LinkedIn as like, why am I here? What am I meant to do? Okay, <laughs> I yeah. guess I have to have one of these, right? Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. For somebody has said that everyone needs to have a LinkedIn profile, so we all have one. I mean, I can't speak. I'm being incredibly like um, hypocritical here because I have a, um, a LinkedIn profile that I use far too much. I'm kind of addicted. Yeah, I, I actually I mean, that about myself. But here, we, here we are. Um, essentially, all of my all of my jobs and my whole adult life has just been an exercise in ensuring I can remain as childlike and immature as possible for as long as possible. That should be everyone's goal, let's be honest. Well, I mean, you've done an incredible job at that. Like, you were founder of Whiff Waff Brothers, which was a, a ping-pong night out, Pattern Cutters Warehouse, um, yeah. your creative specialist at Ace Bounce, uh, Putt Shack, um, yeah. and then back to Bounce again, and then yeah. Social Entertainment Ventures, so Bounce, Ping Pong, Putt Shack, High Jingo, Ace Bat, Wonderball, Games wow. guru, gurus, and and now F one arcade. So you basically just worked in having fun. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I can I can give you a very quick synopsis of yeah, how all these kind of things fell into place. Um, so it all kind of started on a cold and wintry night in February two thousand and ten, <laughs> when I had been at a party. And because I knew that an ex-girlfriend was going to be at this party, mm -hmm. I necked a bottle, almost half a bottle of vodka quite quickly. Right. And Dutch just courage. a bit of sort of Dutch courage. Um, and at the time, the person whose party it was, um, he was quite high up in the in the tour, in the Tory party as a as a chief advisor to David Cameron. Oh, I'm, I'm so not a Tory, by the way. Love Labour. <laughs> um, but what what had happened was that 
I was tipsy and so I thought it was time to sort of hold court with all these high up Tories at this house party. And so I ended up getting talking to them for a number of hours. They sort of enjoyed it so much that they swept me off to Soho House in 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 the middle of town. Right. So we were there at sort of three in the morning. I was very, very inebriated mm-hmm. to the point where I went to the toilet, I looked out the door and I saw the number 55 bus, which I just knew took me home. <laughs> Even though I left all of my stuff upstairs, my instinct was just getting that bus. So I left the I left oh, wow. Soho House, just got on the bus. I got to where I thought near home was. I walked up the road and instead of turning right on the canal, I turned left on the canal and went the wrong way. I found myself walking down the canal. I heard some music. I just walked into this place. It turns out it was this like warehouse space right on the corner, right on the canal in Dalston. I just barged in. There was like 10 people just sitting around drinking, listening to music, smoking. Um, I met the dude who'd sort of taken over the lease. Um, We got talking. The next day I went back, kind of did some stuff for them. Um, And then it was the World Cup, the Football World Cup 2010. Mm. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be great to have this warehouse as the World Cup warehouse and to put on like to show the games um, and have street parties every day. Cause we were right on the main, right outside was a street and then it was the canal. So we had no cars coming past. And I looked online and I saw what London's biggest TV was to watch the world cup. It was like 12 foot. So we right. built a TV that was 12 foot and one inch <laughs> to make sure we had London's <laughs> biggest TV. And so then we did world cup warehouse in this warehouse. Um, and it was, it was like, four pounds to get in but bring your own alcohol and all that kind of stuff we had a street party every single game and it was just it was just huge um so the end of the world cup came um i was thinking i was doing the dishes uh, in the kitchen thinking about what to do next and i started thinking about angelina jo- angelina uh jolie what's her uh, name jolie Pitt. yeah whatever and jennifer aniston how they just wouldn't get along if they met each other because of the whole brad situation <laughs> right and sorry, thought, this is not the origin story i thought we were gonna get with, with no, but it's, yeah. it all makes sense it'll all make sense because it it literally links into Wiffwaff brothers um because i was thinking right how do i get these two people who hate each other to to battle it out. So I came up with this thing called celebrity ping pong, where I just got everybody who I knew to come to this, to to come to the warehouse dressed as a celebrity and they'd play table tennis against each other. If they had beef already, we'd say what that beef was. If they didn't have beef, we'd make it up. So in the end, we had a winning celebrity who happened to be Prince. Prince was the winning celebrity. (laughs) Um, After that, I was like, right, I want to do that again. Ping pong was so amazing. Um, but I don't want to do, get people to dress up every single time. So the Wiff Waff Brothers was born, which was just like really good music, um, table tennis, alcohol in a warehouse in Dalston. Wiff Waff Brothers, this sounds amazing. It, what? It, we used to run it from like <laughs> eight o'clock at night to eight o'clock in the morning. Um, and pretty soon I realized that just letting two dudes play table tennis against each other wasn't going to be great for crowds because we have like a hundred <laughs> people show up. So I ended up getting a microphone, getting speakers and just creating games on the fly. So we could have like almost a hundred people playing all at once from Wiff brothers, which was really, really fun. A lot of success. I got in touch with Adam Breeden, who was the founder of all star lanes, who was developing a concept called bounce, which is bounce ping pong. Mm. So he 
and I and his other business partner, Dov, we met up uh, about a year before the first bounce opened. I explained everything that I'd done at Wiff Wiff Brothers. I turned ping pong from like this really stuffy kind of serious sport into like an an entertainment event. Mm-hmm. And and then we sort of spoke about, well, how do we marry the spirit of Wiff Wiff Brothers with the sort of <laughs> high-end hospitality of bounce ping pong? And so that is where our first connection came. So I came on board to work for Bounce. Um, I developed all these things called premium bookings, which were essentially the spirit of Wiff Brothers, but for groups who would pay for it. Okay. So you would pay like a, a spend per head and you would get like myself or other comedians to come and run these very entertaining events for you, um, which was, that was just incredibly, incredibly popular. Um, <laughs> From Bounce, yeah, obviously we went to went to Chicago and we opened Ace Bounce. So I was there for most of 2016. Nice. What was Chicago? Also about? then, yeah, it was great. It was great fun. Um, yeah, what can I say? Really lovely people. Um, everyone, everyone was sort of saying, thinking that Chicago is this like, oh, it's crazy being in a big city. I'm like, it actually, it's not. It feels quite like a bit of a, a very large country town, Chicago, compared to mm. London New York, or New York or something. But yeah, it was it was really great. Met a lot of really good friends that I'm still friends with to this day. And <laughs> uh, also met a, a lot of learnings as well. Um, in particular, just with different audience types and, mm. and, and such and, and working with the Americans. And then, and then we came back and we started work on Putshack. Um, so Putshack is the is the super high tech mini golf concept that we yeah. we built, which is now, I think there's five or six sites in the UK and there's about fifteen sites in the states. There's going to be hundreds of them. Um, so we opened Putshack and then straight away we started work on High Jingo. This is don't worry guys, this is getting us very yeah. close to the F one part. <laughs> so High Jingo we worked on for a further two years. High Jingo is the is again super high tech bingo concept that we launched in Shoreditch. Um, really, okay. really spectacular. It's actually like walking into a game show. Um, it says it's high octane, high octane bingo. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's really exciting. It's, it's more like a, <laughs> it's more like a West End show than bingo. Um, I, I just want to go to all of these places. This, I know, this, this sounds, sounds like a lot of, fabulous, it sounds right? like you, you've basically just like broken down all the barriers of like what, what you ought to do in life and just been like, well, this would be fun. Let's do this. And then this would be fun. Let's do, before we get to F1, right? When you're doing all of these, these ventures, clearly they're all very successful and you're, you're, you're learning a lot as you go about running businesses, hiring staff. Uh, it, it looks like yeah. all of your roles were very much in the creative element of it. Um, what did you, what was the the plan? I, I kind of think I know what the answer is going to be um, before I ask this question. But as you're going through all these ventures, have you got, have you got some kind of vision of where this is all going? Not me, no, <laughs> not me. Um, so I've, I'm very lucky in that I've worked with the same kind of core group of four people since 2012. Um, Adam Breeden, who's the CEO, who's the the sort of hospitality genius, who who can build these concepts and, and get them funded and get all the excitement and everything. Um, and then uh, Diane Jervis, who is mm. um, just a sort of master operator in, in, in building the concepts and ensuring everything gets done. 
Um, and then Janique, um, who's really, really great at systems and process and project management. And then me, I'm, I'm, I'm really terrible about thinking about the future. I'm, I'm very lucky that I have a fiance who's, who's <laughs> planned my uh, retirement for me. Um, <laughs> but my, my role has always been in, it's all, it's always been in the creative thing. Like, I mean, even going back to like how I would, why I did Wiff Brothers the way I did it. When I used to host house parties in Australia, every single house party I did had to have a theme and it was like a really spectacular theme and okay. each room would have something different going on. And I just did that because it's like, well, what would I want to go to if I was going to a party? Um, what, it wasn't where just do you like... think this came from? Where do you think this kind of like entrepreneurial application of your creativity started? Because a lot of people are very creative, but wouldn't think to like you know this would be cool but a lot of people have that thought right this would be cool but it's a yeah, huge yeah. step to then go and be like so i'm going to build it like how right. did, where did this come from is it like parents are entrepreneurial or something you studied at school like where did it come from that is i've never i've actually never been asked that and i've never really thought about it so if you give me a, a couple of split <laughs> sec- seconds to think about Chris, it yes we did it we asked yes. a proper podcast question <laughs> <laughs> gosh it's okay even like with radio so I never planned to do radio but even even as a kid it was just I would always be making tapes and things like that so I'm not a great entrepreneur I'm just I just know who are the right people to attach to okay okay that can often be the best Mm. kind of answer like if I was to do things on my own it would be an absolute disaster because I'm, I'm so sort of scatterbrained and it's really hard for me to start a project and finish a project. Even, even at home, like making toast, I can just forget to butter it sometimes. Oh, dry toast. That sounds grim. (laughs) I do. I I get reminded when I bite into it. that's, That's obviously where you draw the line with creativity then eating. Toast without butter. That's that's obscene. That is ungodly. Yeah, but then then you have to imagine the marmite. Oh, I see. I I see. (laughs) But my parents are not entrepreneurial. I was I I was never I was never really told that I couldn't do something. And I I always I've I've never that's another thing. Actually, this is probably this is probably pertinent. My first year at university, I had a, a a tutorial teacher. And the first two weeks of lessons, the, the only thing she taught us was strangle the inner critic. Mm, and that okay. always just stuck with me because the only person who says you can't do something is yourself. Um, and and that, that was actually really big because like for the next two or three years after that, every time I was doing something, I thought, oh, I don't want to do this. I can't do this. It was just remembering like, thoughts aren't real life you don't you don't have yeah. to listen to this thought right now you want to do it just do it and mm. another thing is um don't 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 necessarily put time limits on things like if you have an idea of sort of where you want something to go probably not with a concept like f1 arcade because you do need time limits but if you have <laughs> a general idea of where you want to end up entrepreneurially mm. your 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 brain will kind of naturally keep the doors open to allow you to end up there i don't know if that makes sense but that's kind of how i've always done it like i know where i want to end up i've always had this picture of like 
a house in the mountains in Spain overlooking. And that's, okay. that's always been like, that's where I sort of want to end up. And mm. how am, I've never thought, how am I going to get there? I've just, I've just thought, what's the best opportunity for me to keep growing, keep developing. Okay. Yeah. So it sounds like you have one of those rare superpowers, which is a tremendous confidence and trust in your own instincts. So every time you get one of these little like buds of an idea, you basically know straight from the beginning, okay, this is going to work. And so why wouldn't I go and pursue it and, and make sure. this a thing? Cause it, that is, it doesn't sound like you, somebody who suffers from like creeping doubt or like imposter syndrome, because yeah. it's like, well, I, I've got this idea and I know it's going to work. Like, cause my instincts say it's going to work and I, you fully trust your instincts. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're, you're, you're very right. And it's, 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 it's almost a quite a cr confronting thing for me to think about good pop good podcasting guys because um <laughs> i was even saying this to my fiance the other day like as i do get older i've been so sort of a, this is like therapy now i've been a little blasé <laughs> about thinking about the future because it's not that everything i've done has turned out brilliantly it's just that there hasn't really been anything that hasn't really sort of worked out mm. um in order to maintain my happiness because it's always about like being content and being happy I've never, it's never really been about um financial gain or anything like that so um, you set the bar of success at happiness and anything else is a is a bonus but by aiming for happiness given that you're a, you're you're a leisure entrepreneur that, ten, that tends to be the secret sauce anyway right yeah yeah well I, actually I've, I've set the bar at at content i oh, think okay. if i'm happy wow. the, if <laughs> I'm, well i thought about this a few years ago actually it's like I, I don't like people always say oh, i want to be happy all the time i'm like well actually you'd get burnt out if you were happy all the time because you you'd be swinging wildly like for mm. every action there's an equal and opposite reaction so if you're always happy then you have to have the downtime so that's interesting content. I hope that I hope Content. that's not the case. I hope that that phrase for every action as an equal and opposite reaction. I hope that doesn't apply to happiness because then every time you're happy, you be like, "Oh God, I'm gonna be paying for this Here tomorrow. <laughs> tomorrow I've had the best day ever. I'm gonna be miserable tomorrow." Oh <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I have to admit this is not something that I've studied scientifically. Well, it's just, yeah, there's no data behind right. this. A gut feeling. Yeah, yeah. I mean. Yeah, maybe I am selling myself short. I should try and be happy every day. But actually, to be honest, I would find it a bit boring to be happy every day. Oh, it's you nice like the to variety of occasions. You need those challenges, miserable. right? But then I think that's, that's, yeah. there's, there's a lot of creative people who are quite famously up and down. Maybe that's a, yeah, maybe sure. that's a requirement. Okay, anyway, so um, we will send an invoice for the therapy session uh, straight right. after the show. Um, hope, I hope that was enlightening for you. Um, <laughs> I feel I feel I feel weightless with happiness. <laughs> it's part of the service. <laughs> so, okay, F one arcade. What was the first conversation you had about F one arcade? Yeah. Okay. So we just got up to High Jingo. Mm -hmm. We'd worked on this for two or three years. We were in the actual launch week, about to have our celebrity launch, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that was going to be March the 17th, 2020. And as you know, we had a global pandemic yes, yes, we called, did. called COVID, COVID or something, COVID. No, no, it doesn't matter. Um, I don't remember. Do not say the C yeah. word on the podcast? <laughs> exactly. So so that meant that all that work we done, we just we had to just shut down straight away. It has reopened, but we all shut down. We're all back at home. Now, 
Adam had received probably in February of 2020 an email from Amelia at F1, who um, I believe she's in uh, a se- senior in, in licensing um, and things like that. Very kind of short email. Um, Adam, would you be keen on talking? Um, we are, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing this email, trying to remember mm-hmm. what it was, but essentially it was, we, we're kind of looking for somebody to give a license to, to own and operate um, F1 venues within the hospitality sphere. Um, so Adam had got that email in February or January, not really done anything with it because we were opening High Jingo. So we, if, if, if the C word hadn't happened, there was no way we would have done anything with this because we were right. opening a new concept. Yeah. However, that then meant that Adam got in touch with me, Janique and Diane, the four of mm. us who'd always worked on all yeah. of the concepts before, um, said, look, this is what we've got, guys. What do you think? Uh, we then had a series of meetings on Zoom, um, started putting together a concept of what would it look like to have sim racing? What would it look like to be really focused on F1? Um, how would sim racing work because if we made a venue for sim races within a month we've burnt through the whole audience so Mm -hmm. how do we actually take sim racing and and give it to everybody else um Mm. so within about six weeks we had a whole concept built out we had a whole um proposal all that kind of stuff we then met back up with formula one we took them through our idea took them through the deck all that stuff that we'd worked on um and in short they 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 loved it um they loved it so much that they ended up um pitching it to liberty media who's the the Mm. parent company of f1 um who also loved it and um so liberty liberty ended up taking like a an equity stake in our company they invested they funded the first venue Oh uh, no no no! Um, we we self funded. Liberty just oh, okay. took a, a small a small. Okay. Um, when we say self funded, we we put together. Well, Adam put together all of the investors. I, I found I a see. few. Yeah, but yeah. we had we had to raise. I mean, that was something that Adam says was the hardest thing he's had to do was fundraise during a global pandemic. Oh yeah, 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 um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, nobody's so going to want to. Everyone's appetite for risk is going to be fairly low if you if you're wondering if this is the apocalypse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there was like a lot of kind of major things that we had to then. So once we kind of got the green light from F1, we then had to find a sim supplier. We then had to work on who's going to build the game for us. We then had to work on a bunch of other systems mm. and processes, finding venues, working with landlords. Um, fortunately, I don't have to do a lot of that um, sort of hard brainwork stuff. Um, but I, I suppose that can that brings us on to Visaro because I think they were probably one of the first people that we got in contact with mm. to partner with. Interesting. Mm. Okay. And so, how did you? So, how did you? Did somebody already know about Visaro? Because Visaro is is it's fairly. Even amongst sim racers, not everybody will have heard of Vasaro. Everyone knows of Fanatec and Simucube and Track Racer and Next okay. Level Racing. But Vasaro, because their entry point is like 30,000 euros, they're a little bit more difficult to... A lot, not yeah. a lot of sim racers will find them unless they're an ultra high net worth individual. 
is it is it worth me kind of explaining a bit about the concept and yeah. our knowledge of oh, sim yeah. racing at That'd the time? Great. So I I was the only one who'd done any sim racing at that point out of the four of us. Um, and as you will know, when a sim racer says, come and have a go on my kit and you sit mm. there all excited and then you get to the first corner and you found yourself <laughs> spinning in the grass for infinity. Yeah. It's not <laughs> always the most pleasurable experience for a first timer. Yeah. Um, I had been in the past an avid Gran Turismo uh, driver from first PlayStation way back in the nineties. Any wheels? Um, so pardon? Did you ever do no, yourself a wheel? I, I had no wheels to that point. Okay. Um, I, I did buy a Logitech wheel mm -hmm. once we knew we were going to start building this concept and I stuck it to my, um, my table in my, in yeah, my living room and, and then, um, had to get my, some, I had to buy weights like barbells, not to actually pump iron, but to hold my pedals in place yeah. yep, so they yep. didn't keep sliding across the floor. So yeah, I had, I had not had any wheels. I have not had, I was the only person that played any kind of physics based racing to that yeah. point. Mm -hmm. uh, I think the others had maybe had a go on Daytona, the old, the old arcade game. Yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, Great game. So I was, uh, that's why at the very start, I, I was kind of like, it was really important for me to explain to the other guys, like we want to put Sims in our venue, but sim racing is difficult and our audience like 99% of our audience we get through at the moment 7,000 people in one one venue a week 99% mm. of them yeah have maybe spent 10 seconds in a sim in their whole life yeah so we had to make sure that the product that we were developing was going to appeal to them first and then we would bring on other game modes for the for the sim races mm. um so that's kind of where we were at with sim racing. We knew we knew we wanted to do it, but we knew that we were going to have to really have a lot of control over the sim and also the game in order for our audience to get the most out of it. Um, the the reason that Vasara got involved is it's a little bit of a, a strange co coincidence, really. So there was a chap called Stephen Slade who we'd worked with on Pushak, <laughs> and. I knew because Stephen is one of those wonderful people that just loves to talk and he's, he's absolutely great. And I think maybe one time in 2018, I'd mentioned a sim racer just out of the blue. And then he told me about his sim race, his sim setup for the yeah. next half an hour. Um, <laughs> I was just, I was just looking yeah, I was cousin? in what, sorry. And was this Neville's brother cousin? So that that's what I thought. So I, I went and looked up Stephen on LinkedIn because mm. I we wanted to actually talk to him about sim racing. And then straight underneath, it was like Neville Slade, um, Vasaro sim racers. And they're not related. And so they're not related. What? It was just a complete coincidence. That's and they knew each other. It, they knew each other because Stephen had bought a sim off Nev. Oh. So it it so was there were second a, was connections a, and they had the same second name. And so they just popped up. That's exactly. So, wow. I think I thought so there was, was a lot more to it than that. I thought, yeah, we tried like <laughs> seven or eight different rigs and then we stress tested them. And then, you know, we finally came to the decision. <laughs> <laughs> so, so what we actually did was, um, we got in, in touch with, with Nev and the team at Vasaro and 
we took a few trips. I think they're in Maidstone somewhere. Yeah, somewhere Tubble, in Kent. Yeah, yeah, where I grew up. We took a few trips down there, saw what they had. Um, we also kind of, because we, we were really specific about what we wanted. We wanted something that looked really kind of spectacular and mm, slick, no but didn't take up a really huge um, uh, footprint as well. So we went down and we saw what they had and we really loved it. And a few months later, they came down, came back with like initial kind of designs for the Sims. Um, we, we, we definitely had looked at other Sim manufacturers in the interim. Um, but I think we felt that a lot of the ones that we'd looked at, because we knew nothing about Sim racing at the mm. time, um, and it was a lockdown, so it's not that you can go and explore yeah. and play on other people's sims. Right. So it looked like a lot of the other ones that we were looking at were sort of only off the shelf. They didn't have the capability to build the yeah. bodywork that we wanted. Or, and they um, weren't tanky. We, yeah, exactly. And a big thing for us to let Vasaru know was our customers are going to be absolutely brutal on these things. Mm. Like you you cannot imagine how rough they're going to be it's 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 so much different than you going to a trade show and having one of your staff kind of monitoring a sim yeah. all day to just letting um seven stag do in a row on, <laughs> on sim 35 for example like it's it's yeah it's absolutely crazy that was so that was a big thing like speaking to Vasara, like making sure that all the components we were going to get were super robust um really interchangeable uh, yeah, so they they're really 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 good to work with, and um, and yeah, we we didn't realize that they were top of the range, but we definitely wanted to yeah. work with top of the range. We were well, yeah. we were doing a concept with with Formula One. I mean, this was yeah yeah this was yeah. uh we this, and they're bespoke. Like, they look great. Is, yeah, thanks. They do. Um, they actually Vasaro and Formula One worked together to get the shape that we have. So that mm. came from Formula One's kind of design team as well. Oh wow, that's very yeah. cool. And obviously, ne ne we had Neville on the show uh, a couple of shows back, and his background is incredible. I don't know how much you got to speak to Neville or learn about his past, but um, some of the like the way he, like, the beginning of his career, he like I don't know how to. So he basically invented like the modern concept of a website, like the first moving image on a website that like, he did. Like he he was like fundamental in in developing java like you know yeah, he wow. was he's a very 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 talented man who now does all of the design work himself for he the does Bizarro rigs um so i can imagine the opportunity well i know because i asked him uh, the opportunity to work with f1 is like you know incredible um right. so yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's kind of paid off like you walk into the f1 arcade and as a sim racer you walk in like wow this place is these rigs are insane i cannot wait to go on these rigs like they look great like the you know the the, the moser the moser wheelbases amongst sim racers aren't necessarily a premium sim um uh, sim base um but yep. the wheel rims that you have on them they look the part they look incredible the led lighting that they the strip they have across the top and obviously you've disabled yeah. all the uh, like traction control abs um knobs but they you know they look they look great you walk in you're like this looks like a formula one rig yeah, the intention on those on the knobs and the traction. We're actually, I should say very quickly that we're actually having Moser. They're they're going to be creating a a steering wheel for us bespoke. Oh wow! So the one that That'd you see cool. in venue, we're having 
a new version of that that's sort of more in line with what an f1 wheel would look like and also we're we're removing a couple of the things were, that were a little superfluous yeah but yeah, yeah. Sure. the the knobs and dials and buttons and stuff the the abs like the the fine tweaking we do intend um in time to have those all live for certain race modes and for certain yeah. skill levels okay so um, that's... it's just not something we yeah. Should we talk about that then? Um, because I think uh, there's yeah. a couple of things that I think sim racers would be really interested in learning from from this podcast. I think, you know, I, I want to ask why are we not using or why are you not using the F1 game uh, at some point? But also let, let's go into the, the mode. So as a sim racer, any sim racer who's listening, who's been to the F1 arcade uh, will immediately have recognized that this is not a it's not set up as a sim. It's very much set up as an arcade. Uh, which is fine. The name is F1 Arcade, right? right. Um, so you have even on when I went, which was I think three or four weeks ago, or four or five weeks ago, perhaps. Um, I went. Th- th- there was three options. It was beginner, intermediate, and pro. Um, I went to the pro level, and there was still steering assist, braking assist, ABS was on on massively. The, all the assists were on. It it felt it did feel like a like an arcade. Um, but obviously, yesterday I think it was the day before you announced a new well, mode. Well, just on what you were saying there, so we launched I'll give you I'll give you some sort of background. Like when we wanted to launch this concept, we actually have four racing modes that we wanted to launch with. That is head to head, team based, all venue racing, and Grand Prix sessions. Mm. Um what we did do because um because of the way that the world was with lockdowns, with wars, with uh dev time and things like that. Um, it meant that our actual dev time got massively overblown. We we ended up launching with only head-to-head and team-based racing, which are our casual and new player modes. Mm-hmm. Um, I will get on to what all venue racing and Grand Prix sessions do in a moment. Um, what you were just saying about the, the pro setting as well, um, until only probably six weeks ago, there was an undetected bug in code that was ensuring that if you'd picked rookie, casual, semi-pro or pro, it wasn't pulling your skill settings through to your drive. Ah. So the pro that you had is not the pro that we developed in our test center. Interesting. The pro that the pro that we actually have, there's no ABS. There's no, there's basically no settings, uh, no skill settings on. No assists. No yeah. assists on. Right. Um, so right, I'm going back. that I'm bug going has back. All, all been fixed. <laughs> but what you were speaking about as well, we have also now launched our elite mode, which is is all the same settings as pro, except we've turned the racing line off and it's manual mm-hmm. gears. So Perfect. and so now we have five racing modes um, from 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 rookie to elite. Um, it was an every time I would read online that somebody had selected pro and it hadn't worked. I was just, I was distraught. I was distraught uh, for, see, a, for I a long thought it time. Was a, because I, I, cause my, my, when I drove it, my, my thoughts were, okay, do you know what? I get it. I get it. That this is not for sim races for the reason that you said earlier, you know, you have 7,000 people a week, 50 of them might be sim races. So it makes sense to ensure that the other 6,950 people enjoy themselves and don't aren't constantly coming off the track and spinning. I was like, yeah. I, I remember starting it being like, oh, I thought the pro one would, would be, like, do you know what? Actually, I get it because you probably want those 6,950 people to be able to select pro 
and feel like yeah. okay well i was on the high setting and i did all right <laughs> no, well. i i feel your pain i feel it deeply every time <laughs> that i saw that because it was just so i would go to the venue and i would say to the tech team like i, I pick it's not right it's not right um and it wasn't until we we moved offices and we set back up our test center sims and we got back to like exactly how i'd set it up in the test center and i was like I was with the tech team. I was like, guys, look, this is how it should be. Yeah, yeah. This is how a rookie should be. This is how a coach should be. And they were so different to what we we're having venue. And then the geniuses that they are. So I think Michael, who is one of our new hires, one absolutely awesome dude he is, he managed to find this this one thing that was stopping the skill settings being taken from the game and being applied mm-hmm. to what you picked. Um, and I know that sounds really harsh to say that sort of from a business perspective but what we are is we are a computer game and it's a game that we although we didn't develop three night uh our uh, factor we mm. developed the way that we want it to work the interface so, yeah 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 so we we like like if you play any any computer game if it's any console game like if you i'm massively into fifa and every two weeks I get updates of what they've just done. Like we've removed this, we've fixed this. We're kind of doing the same now. We're yeah. going back and we're letting people know like, guys, we spotted a bug here. Um, we fixed this now. Thanks for letting us know all that kind of stuff. So, but we will, we will, yeah. Sorry, I was no, gonna say, just on that point, since you've mentioned it, interestingly, the F1 arcade is not using the F1 game. Now I, th- I, th- I think yeah. there's some perhaps obvious reasons, but it'd be, it'd be interesting to hear it from your point of view. Yeah, I mean, we initially spoke to the Cody's guys, um, and I—I I mean, I, I've had a Cody's F1 game. I, I had my first one in 1987. So to actually be in a meeting with the the, de- the guys who actually developed that game in their bedroom all those years ago was <laughs> like cool. a real sort of—it th- was a thrill for me. It was like this top-down yeah. uh, racetrack, and it had little oil patches and spanners. <laughs> had to just drive around like that with a keyboard um and i the cody's i mean it's such a great game and the way it looks and mm. it's just i mean yeah. it looks spectacular the what we wanted the game to do for our audience and the amount of development that they would have had to have done the it was just to do with like time and costs just becoming astronomical yeah. um and so we, we took it as far as we could to try and see what we could do with Cody's. Then then F1 actually put us in touch with Studio 397. Um, and when our, our tech guys, so Gav Williamson, um, Gav Williams, is it, that's weird. I don't know his last name. Gav Williams, Williamson. <laughs> um, he's, our, he's our CTO. He's an absolute genius as well. He's, he's the one that realized that with working with, um r factor it meant that we could create an overlay that sits directly on top of the on top mm-hmm. of the game yeah. we couldn't do that with the codemasters game right. so all the things that we wanted head to head teams to team racing all venue racing and our grand prix sessions to do from a player and also from a spectator perspective we weren't able to to get yeah. that um so it's that that's actually what we went. yeah exactly and um and also with the with the with the official F one game, the the yearly update costs as well were in the sort of 
six figure mark and it's yeah it was just it was just getting a bit too too much i mean right that makes sense yeah that makes a lot of sense i think most people most sim racers would have worked that out because you know r factor 2 it's a lot more you know moddable you can you can build overlays like there's a lot of sim racing centers um around the uk that were like simply racing milton Keynes, for example that uses yeah r factor 2 for that very reason it's far more far more versatile but this was interesting because obviously it was the first officially f1 endorsed center that had opened so it was kind of it was kind of interesting that that they hadn't used the f1 game or the f1 game hadn't adapted for it yeah i mean you have to also kind of understand that at the time because we hadn't opened our doors and anything like that and it hadn't this hadn't what we were doing hasn't been done anywhere to this mm. kind of scale and and to the audience that we wanted to appeal to it was like a risk that they would have to take on as well so it wasn't just a, a yeah. financial thing it was like it was like you weren't established um, enough for them to know that they're yeah. putting their time and it would pay off exactly like and, and another thing is they were in the process of sort of um being acquired by ea sports Mm. Oh, yeah. so they had a lot so on their plate <laughs> they had an awful lot on their plate and i mean i, I mean it's, it's it's a great game i go home and i play it often on my console now just because i get to familiarize myself with 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 different tracks and things like that mm. um I, I suppose also just a couple of modes that we want to introduce that really are for the sim racers okay um, I don't know if it's worth talking about those now because I mentioned yeah. that we wanted to look. We're starting to launch with four modes. We had to launch with two. We've got the next two are coming within the next sort of two or three months. Um, so the first one is called All Venue Racing. Um, All Venue Racing. So anybody who comes to F1 Arcade um, before you come, during your visit, whenever you're encouraged to set up your arcade hub, which is essentially your driver profile. Yeah. Because yeah. um, as, as you know, when you play the game, you scan a QR code and that takes you to the arcade hub on your phone and it enters you into the game. So by doing that, it, we can keep a record of everything the player's ever done within the game, lap records, all that kind of stuff. It also means that they have direct access to Arcadians, which yes. are the in-game mm -hmm. currency that you can win. <clears throat> and spend on things like trips to Silverstone, uh, headphone, like loads and loads of things that we're going to have. Um, but yeah, all venue racing um, is graded racing. It, it will take place on sort of set times during the week. So let's say it starts on a Monday night at six o'clock and finishes at 10 o'clock. You are graded based on how well you've driven in the past or whatever. So the, your first ever visit to an all venue racing, you will start in grade nine. However well you do, you're almost going to be accumulating XP based on mm. your finishing position, overtakes, uh, if you've beaten people that are better than you, fastest starts, all those kind of things. Right. So you progress. Um, so you'll only there's there's three classes of racing. So class C is grade seven, eight, and nine. Class B is four, five, and six. And class A is one, two, and three. So that's the kind of best of the best. Um, if you're racing in class A, which is one, two, or three, there's no racing line. You have to be on pro or elite. Um, the the prizes of Arcadians are much higher. So you can really kind of uh, mm. win a lot more. Okay. Um, and yeah, so I mean, that's the kind of thing that it's, it's a community based kind of thing. So you don't need to be the absolute best to do it. You can come down 
and you're not that good and you can just race against grade nines and grades eights and sevens but at least you're going to be um, racing against people who are of a similar ability which inherently will make it more fun oh yeah it's a similar ability and and also throughout the night there'll sort of be four wild card races as well that you can enter and wild card anybody can enter it's uh it, so if you if you enter a wild card and you're grade eight for example and you beat a grade four because you've beaten somebody so much higher you'll progress a lot faster yeah. This See, sounds actually, incredible. This so, sounds yeah. very sticky. As in, if you had one within 45 minutes to an hour of you, you could imagine making a regular trip in the same way that like a, a go-karting fan would go go-karting once a month or, or whatever, as opposed to it being yeah, like Madden Two Swords, you might go once every 10 years. I suppose that's the problem that, you, that, you're, that you're solving here is that you're no longer an attraction you're now uh, an experience yeah right no exactly i mean for me all of these things that we've ever done have always been about building communities and that's different communities within different race modes that we have like mm. i always see any kind of group as a community rather than a, a target market for example because the people who get involved with all venue racing if they, let's say we do it three nights a week you could not show up for a month and go back and you're still in the same grade you choose the races that you want to enter. So you don't, it's not like you just get, you're given a set time that you have to do. You could go there and decide, you know what? I just want to sit and have a few drinks tonight and maybe I'll enter two races. Or you could go, right, I'm doing, I want to progress. I'm going to do every single race I'm available for this, this week. Mm. Um, we're going to have commentators like commentating nice. on select nice. races, like just randomly. We're also, the plan is to like have the stream of the race being shown on a, uh, mega 10 foot screen as well nice is it so 10 foot and one inch 10 foot one it is actually everything <laughs> is always one inch bigger it's a 10 foot one inch screen <laughs> yeah oh um so yeah i mean it's it's all yeah all community focused all about entertainment all about sort of just like um, creating something that's really sticky and if it's something that you love and if you love sim racing or you're new to sim racing or you love f1 there's just something that you could say you know what this is the thing that i do every monday night yeah well it, it's um, it's fantastic I, I went and i was just shocked by how many people were in the vet i went on a tuesday night um just after some meetings in london went 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 off um met up with a friend we went around and it was absolutely rammed it was full um yeah. it was yeah and it was you know it, i got the opinion it was there were 60 rigs in there and there were 60 people at that moment falling in love with racing online uh which from a grid finder perspective is interesting because there's a lot of people here will be converted to i'm going to go get the game i'm going to race on my playstation or pc or xbox yeah, and, right. and interact with f1 um in a more immersive way and it's um it it was um very exciting to see the launch of the watch parties because um, yeah. I'm one of those people who I've never been to a physical F1 race. Um, I became a fan through the game. So it made sense, I guess, for the venues full of people who are racing the game to then be able to get together and watch the races together because those fans yeah. will be far more engaged because they've played the game. Yeah. And you know, you're only getting people that have played the game in that venue. It's not like a pub where, like, you know, probably 20% of people might have played an F1 game. At the F1 arcade, everybody has has had a go and and learnt the track. And, you know, I, the idea of, I don't know, Australia coming up this weekend, being able to go, well, not this weekend. I wouldn't go and do some laps at, like, 5 a.m. to be able to watch it at 6 a.m. <laughs> we, we, we have... <laughs> 
I think we've already sold 200 tickets at 5.30 a.m. for people. Oh, you have? Oh, my God. (laughs) I was just thinking it would work for an afternoon race where you could do some races at that track and then immediately watch it. So you're kind of like, you know, you're understanding the character of the corners a lot more. But yeah, yeah, I suppose there's there's some there's there's obviously a lot of hardcore fans willing to get up at 5.30 to to do some laps and then watch. It was always my intention that F1 Arcade would be the gateway to both F1 and sim racing for Mm. a new audience rather than necessarily being, I mean, so you've been there and you've seen that we're not just like an F1 museum where everything is like there's tires on the wall and stuff like that. It was never our intention to be like a fan zone. Yeah. Because we, we want every, every concept that we've ever done, we've wanted to make sure that it's, if you've if you've not got any interest in it, you're still going to absolutely love just hanging out there. Um, so it was really important to us from the very start that um, any anyone who comes down can just just enjoy it from an en- entry level kind of experience. And and the watch alongs in particular, like we haven't even necessarily gone after those new and casual F one fans yet. The people who've been coming to the watch-alongs are those really, really passionate fans who who will come down and get there three hours early, and they're mm. wearing a full, right. a full. <laughs> you have to Ferrari split up the Max kit. and Lewis fans. Actually, I guess they probably don't care about each other very much anymore, do they? <laughs> but you have to split up the the Red Bull guys from everyone else. Just like the the <laughs> yeah. wall of bouncers in the middle. Just put all the Alonso yeah. fans in the middle. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, all of the all of the 50, 50 year old Alonso fans, yeah, who remember him from from year one, yeah. So yeah, it's. I mean, the watch alongs have been have been really great. Um, another, I mean, another thing that we are just about to introduce, like literally on Monday. Um, so for our team based racing, which is that's our bread and butter offering, we want people to do team based racing because. Let's say 10 of us went down. Um, we want this to be a social experience where we're chatting, we're eating, we're drinking, and we're playing on teams together rather mm. than all competing against each other. Right. So um, so for that, that's why we developed the races um, as almost sprint races of only four minutes each race. Yeah. However, for head-to-head, there is a, a chunk of people who would like a, a, longer, a longer race. Um, whilst we can't go overboard on the length of the head-to-head races from Monday, the head-to-head races will be just over six minutes each. So you will get two flying laps in. So we'll be able to check. We'll be able to also mark uh, fastest laps as Mm. well as um, race times. Um, But also we do have the Grand Prix sessions coming. Uh, Grand Prix sessions is a 15 minute qualifier 10 minute, um, sorry, 15 minute warm up, 10 minute qualifier, and then a 25 minute race, okay, or nice. however many laps we get in 25 minutes. So for those ones, you're actually going to be driving for for 50 minutes of actual yeah. driving in them. Um, yeah, so so there are these longer races coming for the people who really want that kind of uh, chance to just really test their sim skills against each other. So this. Uh, this question, this concept that I'm about to ask about, 
kind of flies in the face of everything you've said so far in terms of the brand, the feeling, the customer base that you're trying to appeal for. But I'm going to ask it anyway. Is Are there any intentions to use the F1 Arcade as a venue for esports? I, I like that question because it's something I've been mulling on for quite some time. Because the, re the reason I'm asking is because before this interview... I was like, why on earth wouldn't they? It makes total sense to, to you've got all these rigs here. You can just, yeah. just turn off all the settings and you could have like fun esports events. But actually having now listened to you for the for the you know best part of an hour about what it's what F1 Arcade is about, the atmosphere that you're creating there, the people that you're you're targeting and the people that are enjoying it, it it actually doesn't make as much sense to me anymore as it did before this this yeah. conversation. Yeah. So I would say that to have an esports element is something that is on a sort of mid to long term plan. I feel that with the all venue racing, once we develop that and build an audience and we get enough people in this kind of elite divisions, we are then in the position to turn our game and our experience into like a genuine tournament based thing for the for the best of the best. Mm -hmm. Once we do that, we then are in the in the esports world. We mm. we have a a few new hires coming on board um who have worked for teams like Quadrant and Veloce and stuff. Like we didn't hire them for that reason, mm -hmm. but they have that that know-how. Um so I would say that yes and, and also, because we are opening many more venues of F1 Arcade, both mm. in the UK, in Europe, in the States, in yeah. Australia, in Asia, the Middle East, we plan to have the best of our best competing at different venues around the world and creating sure. a, almost Makes total a sense, global yeah. kind of circuit. So, yes is the answer, but <laughs> we, we need to develop that almost organically to get yeah. to a point where we've got enough people engaged in playing a game for it to really, really take off. And I suppose you want to properly establish the idea that this is for fun. This is for people who have never gamed at all, people that perhaps don't watch F1. You can come here and you can have fun. And I suppose yeah. if you do the esports thing too soon and people see in the news esports names doing esports things and it's all very tough yeah. and it's all very serious, it might put people off um going yeah, if that's think, very well, true i'm just a, i'm just a game you know i'm not a gamer i'm I just yeah. i just you know i'm not into all that esports stuff yeah that that's so true and and inversely as well when we when we did open mistakenly we allowed an element of our marketing at the very start to be going out to gamers and sim racers which was mm. not the right thing to do at all because what we had hadn't been designed specifically for them so they were coming down and not getting the experience that they would have at home because yeah for one we hadn't finished our core product yet mm. and two they are the audience that we want to appeal to once we've fully developed and fleshed out exactly what our core is for everybody else mm. so yeah yeah absolutely it was definitely worked both ways that they I still feel that sim races and people who are really into it are definitely going to be a a key part of our business moving forward. 
and into the future because they have a level of expertise and passion that we haven't even tapped into yet. Right. They might they but, might be the smallest portion, but they'll come back the most. Exactly. And but we we as operators were not in the position because none of us are sim racers to to be able to fully create an experience for them just yet. Mm. We we definitely want to get there, but we have to yeah. build our core first in order That's for us to be able to. Yeah, we want to. We we really wanted to introduce sim racing to millions of people rather than just a few thousand. Yeah. I mean, we're all for that. Yes. <laughs> we're all for that over a grid finder. <laughs> um, oh, cool. Well, look, Ollie, thank you so much for your time. It's been really, really great to chat. Um, I suppose just before we leave, it'd be good to just ask the final question, which is like, where is where is F1 Arcade in, in five years' time? Is it is it all about just rolling it out, the, the venues, or, or, is, or is it something else? Um, well... We we've we've always been very keen on innovation and evolution as well as as a company. Um, so w before we even started, we've kind of got like many phases of development that we want to get to. It's definitely our main focus right now. From um, the CEO, the CFO's perspective, is is getting all the sites signed off, opening the new sites. But from my perspective and the CTO. There's so many things that we want to introduce with, with the game, with the arcade hub, with the Arcadians, mm. um, with creating networks, with creating communities. So in five years' time, I would hope there's sort of 30-plus venues around the world. I would hope that we have a game that absolutely suits any mm. level of driver. Okay. Um, I would hope that we just consistently excite and entertain our audience uh, and the people that, that come to us. And that we also <clears throat> turn a whole lot of people onto F1, onto sim racing. Yeah, I just... It's a broad spectrum of, of goals, it, but I mean, broad, it's also it's anchored in your, in your core thesis throughout your career of fun, right? Yeah, absolutely. Fun. I mean, yeah, my whole life has to be fun or I cry in the corner. Um, but, but this is also, this is also the culmination of all of our kind of last 10 to 15 years work. Like all of the concepts that we've done before have been amazing, but mm. this is sort of our magnum opus. Like yeah, F1 yeah. came to us and said, builds, can you build something for us mm. or that we can like that we will give the license for this is what we've done and it's it's proved to be so much bigger and more spectacular than, yeah. than both we and, and they could have dreamed and so yeah i just i really want f1 arcade to just be the leading sort of social entertainment competitive socializing whatever you want you call it um venue and brand in in the world well it's really really cool i really enjoyed it and now i've i've had this chat i'm uh, i'm actually going to to london next week and so i'm definitely going to visit um because well, I wanna, I wanna let me know and I'll, I'll, I'll sort i'll sort it out for you I'll great you, even you. even better well <laughs> ollie thank you so much um thank you so much for your time it's been a really really great chat and i know that our audience is going to be absolutely fascinated by hearing if they've if they haven't been obviously they'll be fascinated about what what to ex expect when they arrive and if they have been i think it'll be interesting to hear about the um improvements yeah. for sim races that you've made so thank you for for chatting to us
Great. No, absolutely. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Well, that origin story of of his is pretty amazing. And interestingly, it's the first time we've ever had a professional broadcaster on the show. So hopefully, uh, you know, he, he did say very good podcasting it. guy. So I'm, I'm, I feel good about that. Mm-hmm, but, mm-hmm. you know, all in all, it just it, it makes sense that he made this F1 arcade concept because his his life has always been about just making things to supply fun to people. And as his professional therapist, I agree with your evaluation. <laughs> Don't forget to send him that bill for the therapy yeah. session, you know. <laughs> yeah, that was fascinating. Like, yeah, his origin story is is brilliant. Um, really, really interesting guy who is, is quite clearly just been focused purely on creativity at every venture that he's done. And having been to the F1 arcade, you can see how creative it is. It's not if you if you imagine like the other sim racing venues that exist they all look very very similar this one is very very different and they are you know as he said uh targeting a different demographic to sim races but it does now cater for sim racing i was really happy to hear about the uh the settings bug that they had which explains a lot from when i went yeah Um, but also kind of interested in this uh all venue mode um you know we we for reasons um we'll be heading down to london fairly often um over the next few months and years so i'm gonna i think i might make a little um little ritual to go down and do this all venues thing try and get my a license yeah <laughs> hopefully my, my a license hopefully i can, I can see get that over being there quite as well because i'm nowhere near where they're actually going to be putting them in the states because well the states is, are they're huge but uh hopefully when i go over to london uh visit grid finder and all you guys over there we can take a couple of trips to this F1 arcade because it sounds like a lot of fun to me. But if you're, you know, looking to join a league or you've started in F1 arcade and now you want to, you know, perfect those skills, we have tons and tons of leagues on gridfinder.com for you to go ahead and join any day, any any platform, any simulator, whatever you want to race. Anywhere in the world. Anywhere in the world. In but, a world. <laughs> if you also are a league owner and want to get some more drivers for your league, go ahead and list your league on GridFinder, and you know we get a very, very solid group of drivers that are constantly looking for new leagues to switch around to on different days and things. So list your league on GridFinder. We'd like to thank the episode sponsor, Track Racer, as always, for sponsoring the podcast. If you're looking to upgrade your rig, you want to change something out, go to trackracer.com. Other than that. That'll do it for this week. We appreciate you being here, watching and listening or listening, you know, whichever you choose. But we will be back next week, next Sunday, with another episode. Thanks. Goodbye.